Good afternoon, everybody. I'm uh, doing this podcast from General Assembly in St. Louis. It's Wednesday afternoon, about the five o'clock uh, hour, and I'm in St. Louis for the yearly gathering of our denomination. Uh, it's the Presbyterian Church in America is our denomination, and uh, so if the sound is a little bit funny or a little bit different or you hear some weird stuff, it's because I am in a hotel room that actually looks out to where the St. Louis Rams used to play. Well, it occurred to me in my planning for this upcoming Sunday that some of you might wonder why we don't do anything patriotic in the service, especially as it's July 4th. You know, so for example, First Baptist Church of Dallas famously or perhaps infamously has a yearly Freedom Sunday in which the country, our freedoms and the military are celebrated, complete with a full complement of patriotic music and, believe it or not, confetti cannons. Now, some churches do something a little bit more subdued. You know, perhaps they don't have confetti cannons. Like the time my home church had Lee Greenwood sing his hit song, God Bless the USA, as the special music. I, that had to be mid-1980s, maybe. And, and some of you probably have been in churches or maybe grew up in churches where the sanctuary has an American flag in it and maybe also a Christian flag or perhaps a whole array of flags representing the nations or you've experienced Sunday school or VBS programs where kids were taught to recite the Pledge of Allegiance to the U.S. flag but also a Pledge of Allegiance to the Christian flag as well as the Pledge of Allegiance to the Bible and it usually went in that order of importance. Well, we don't do these sorts of things in this church, and I don't know of a PCA church that does. I'm not saying they're not out there. I'm just saying I've, I've never seen that. And, and this Sunday will not be any different from our normal worship, and we will not engage in any expressions of patriotism. Now, none of this is because we don't love our country. It's actually the opposite. It's because we love our country deeply that we refrain from these things in worship. You know, I, I pray often for our country, and when I do the pastoral prayer, you can assume I will pray for it then, too. At the opening worship service for General Assembly, prayers were made for President Biden, Missouri's governor, St. Louis's mayor, and so forth, and that, that's well and good. I want God's hand upon our nation. I think you do, too. It's like hymns 710 through 713 in our Trinity hymnal that all function as song prayers, asking God to bless the nations, including our own. It's in our country's best interest that the church love God more and give him al alone all the glory and honor due to him, particularly in our formal gathered worship, no matter the particular patriotic date. Perhaps it should be obvious, but God does not share his worship with anyone, not even our beloved country, and I, I don't personally know any pastors in our denomination that would disagree with anything I just said. So what then? I mean, sh should Christians be patriotic? Well, yeah, I, I think so, but, but let's talk about how we should go about doing that. Well, there are good and bad versions of patriotism. Good versions are similar to how Paul loved the Jewish people and longed for their salvation. I've personally traveled to five other nations. I've visited every state east of Colorado plus Utah, uh, lived in two cities in two different parts of the country, and now obviously I live in Greenville. In all that traveling, there is no country I feel more comfortable in, more at home in, 
than these United States. And within this country, I never feel more alive than I do in the South. I love this place and its people, and I think that's a good thing, and I hope you do too. Good patriotism comes from love of the homeland, but it's not an uncritical love. If Paul longed for the Jewish people to turn to the Messiah, then by implication, he had a critical assessment of them. Loving your country well means that you see both the good and the bad in its people, rejoicing in its triumphs, even as you refuse to whitewash its past. That's like how, as Christians, we're to love our neighbors, which very well may include our enemies, and to love someone, and this is what contemporary people fail to understand, is not to affirm that person and his sin or, or to whole, wholesale accept his behaviors or beliefs. In fact, if we truly love someone, we must not affirm him in his sin. So we should be willing to celebrate the heroism or the triumphs of this country like we do on July 4th or 9-11, even as we must be willing to condemn its evil and injustice because it's there too. So just as America has praiseworthy things, it also has things that are in opposition to our core beliefs and should be condemned. America, you know, it's not one thing or the other. It's all of it mixed together. So just as good parenting neither gives in to the my child can do no wrong, nor my child is a lost cause, or even the I'd rather not face the truth about my child, so I will just blindly assume the best. Well, so too, good patriotism refuses to see only what it wants to see, whether good or bad. You know, to love well is to love in truth. So when we raise the flag, we should recognize that both Iwo Jima and gay marriage are symbolized in the stars and stripes. And to do otherwise is to willfully use America for our own ends instead of loving the actual nation. Now, the bad version of patriotism is emblematic of the phrase, America love it or leave it. That phrase gained most recent traction in the early 2000s with the post 9-11 debate over whether we should be sending troops into Afghanistan and then even more the Middle East and the blowback from many on the left who painted the military as an extension of what they saw as a corrupt, corrupt administration. You know, behind love it or leave it stands love for the troops, many of whom come from our families and who have no choice in where they will serve. And in my view, the phrase was born out of love and concern for our young people who are risking their lives for the sake of this country. Even so, it's easy for it to become a twisted love. You can love the troops even as you disagree with how they are being used by whatever administration. You know, just a moment's reflection will show that nobody really believes that phrase, and nobody should. No one accepts everything about America as totally good or conversely as totally evil, even though there are some that try to think either that America can do no wrong or America can do nothing right is simply false and it doesn't correspond to the truth. Still, there is a version of patriotism among Christians that leans much closer to an unhealthy and uncritical love because it has conflated the church and the kingdom of God with the United States itself. It's like what Lauren Boebert, the U.S. representative from the state of Colorado, recently said on Twitter. There have been two nations created for God's glory, Israel and the United States of America. We will glorify God. To put it bluntly, that's heresy. 
it finds no foundation in Scripture, let alone no Christians outside of our country hold to that view. And as mistaken as this view is, it remains an unexamined assumption among many American Christians. Now, to be sure, the United States at its founding and throughout its history has been deeply affected by Christianity. In that sense, it is a Christian nation, but that's not unique to our country. Most European countries have a deep Christian history, too, including the countries that birthed things like Nazism and socialism and fascism and communism, all of which are versions of Christian heresies. My point is that many American Christians so conflate our country with God himself that to not have a show of patriotism and worship, especially on the 4th, seems to dishonor both God and country. So to return to Representative Boebert's statement, it is true that God established Israel as his treasured people, and it is through Israel and her Messiah, Jesus the Christ, that God is redeeming the world. God isn't solely interested in a single nation on a single geographical spot, and he has not set America apart as his treasured people. No, he claims the whole earth for himself. That's why God's people come from every tribe, nation, ethnicity, and language. That God has used America for this purpose is a tremendous blessing. But again, that's not unique to us. I think what Christians should be after then is, is akin to what we see in the book of Daniel. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, as Jewish exiles serve first the Babylon, Babylonian Empire and then the conquering Persian Empire after it. And it's, it's clear that these young men were emblematic of God's command in Jeremiah 29, 7 to seek the welfare and the good of Babylon. This was a call to love a foreign land and its people despite their forced exile to it. And they did. These young men served in the highest reaches of Nebuchadnezzar's administration, taking on Babylonian names, Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And as court officials, they more than likely were forced to become eunuchs. And they were ultimately eunuchs for the kingdom of God, even as they served under Babylon and Persia. And even as they refused to bow to religious and nationalistic pressure, which were one and the same and, and symbolized in that 90-foot-tall statue that Nebuchadnezzar erects in chapter 3, still, at least with Daniel, he did not serve begrudgingly, but rather cared for Nebuchadnezzar. This is indicated by his desire in chapter 4, that Nebuchadnezzar's disturbing dream be about his enemies and not about Nebuchadnezzar himself. In other words, Daniel wasn't neutral in his services to country. No, he chose to love where he was placed by God. This gives some clarity to those passages then where Paul talks about being citizens of heaven or why Peter addresses the church in 1 Peter as exiles even though they were locals these Christians were to be for their communities and their countrymen, even as they belonged primarily and fundamentally to a different kingdom, to the kingdom of God. I mean, think of it this way. Ephesus and Philippi passed away. America will too, but the kingdom of God will never pass away. I mean, after all, Jesus is no mere king. He's the Lord of lords and king of kings. That, that's our fundamental confession, and he claims dominion over all things, all people, all nations. This is why Christians do their countrymen a great service. 
when they, like Daniel and his friends, worship the triune God alone and seek his kingdom first, using the symbols and pledges of faith to his kingdom alone in our worship space. I would suggest that this is what good patriotism actually looks like. Of course we celebrate the fourth. Of course we fly the flag. Of course you can grill out and shoot fireworks and, and what have you. Of course we give thanks to how good God has been to this land, despite its sins and evil. And of course we pray for this country and its people. Of course we engage in the political process. Yes, to all of this stuff and more. But we do not give our worship to any God but our God alone. And if there comes a time when, like those faithful young men in Babylon, we are forced between our country and our God, we choose our God out of love for him and love for country too. You know, after all, by denying Nebuchadnezzar the, the, the patriotic religious worship he so desperately wanted, those young Jewish men actually led him to the true God. May we do the same.